I'm Pastor Christine's mommy and uh, Pastor John's mother-in-law. And I always tell people that the most righteous thing John Morgan does is live with his mother-in-law. <laughs> that takes a godly man. Um, and I'm happy, really, to share. And that's what I do. I will just share with you this morning from God's word. Um, and I, I brought this up not because I intend to cry, but because my skull is a mucus factory. And uh, who knows <laughs> what could happen. I may need to turn around and blow my nose. Um, <clears throat> I don't know what this thing is, but it's terrible. So we want to welcome you. If you are visiting us today, we're so happy that you're in our little part of the kingdom right here. Uh, we love our, um, our part, and we love you. And uh, for me, who's the old, one of the old hags, and oh, sorry. <laughs> one of the silver sisters <laughs> in the sh- church. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I had friends at where, where I used to work full-time in Northern Virginia, and she's, I said something to her about getting older, and she went, Vicki, you've got the wrong attitude. You're not getting older. You're an elder babe. And I went, oh, I sort of like that one. Yeah, but Silver Sisters will do as, as well. But, um, but anyway, what I wanted to say to those of you that have been here for a long time with me is thank you. You have loved me so well. And um, I appreciate that, the kind words. And just, you know, getting a hug every Sunday morning and a big smile, that means a lot. It really does. And I'm so thankful that part of my spiritual family is right here. And I don't know if you can see it, but starting all the way back here, all the way through there, all the way through there is a spiritual red carpet. And that's what our worship did. It rolls out the red carpet for the word to come. And the Levites did that. That's what they, they went ahead of the battle and they went ahead of the word. And, um, and so it's so easy to speak and share God's word with the kind of worship that we had today, worship from the heart that, um, that Ryan encouraged us to do. <clears throat> Guess what? I haven't even started yet. <laughs> God gave me a bionic mouth for some reason. Psalm 90 from the NIV. I've been um, sharing in my Bible study from the Psalms, which is something I had never done in all the years that I've been teaching. Is only I've only ever taught one Psalm, and that was Psalm 139. So I bit off Psalm uh, Psalm 90, and I went, "What was I thinking?" <laughs> it's the oldest Psalm in the Bible, written 14 centuries before the birth of Jesus, and it's the, it's the Psalm of Moses. He wrote it, and it's called uh, "A Prayer of Moses, the Man of God." And I want to read the whole thing, but I'm only going to be sharing from verses 7 and 8. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born or you brought forth the whole world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turned people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by or like a watch in the night. Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it is dry and withered. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures, yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. 
If only we knew the power of your anger. Your wrath is as great as the fear that is your, that is your due. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Relent, Lord. How long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy in the mo- us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to your children. May the favor of the Lord rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. And so (laughs) when I started teaching this, I went, wow, because I don't relate to God the way this is, you know, the way this is talking about. But guess what? Everything he said is for our good. Everything, even the Old Testament. And so of all things to share with you today is verses 7 and 8, and I'll repeat them. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. We have, you have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. So I fell on my knees and said, oh, Lord, what are you saying to us through this? Um, and one of the things that we, that we learn from this Psalm of Moses is that He's saying this because of Israel's great sin, the people of Israel, the Israelites. Their great sin was disobedience, which led to idolatry. Seven times in 300 years, the nation of Israel fell away from the God of the covenant and, quote, did what was right in their own eyes, what they thought and what they determined. That's a recipe for disaster. The result was that God was no longer the center of their lives. They grumbled, complained, sound familiar, rebelled, and disobeyed. I remember in, as, my, as I was growing in the Lord over the years that the Lord showed me that I was in rebellion in an area that I didn't even know about. I was like, that's rebellion? And God very, very succinctly showed me, when you do this, what you're saying is this. And I I had to repent. I had called it something very benign. You know, I would never say, yes, I just want you to know that I'm in rebellion. No, I I didn't know that I was. I had put another very benign Christian term to my behavior at that time. And the Lord went, no, this isn't optional, Vicki. This is what I'm telling you in my word. And this is what the Israelites didn't get. He, he said, okay, I've been told you, t- telling you and telling you and telling you, and now I'm going to write it down. So even when Moses went to the top of Mount Sinai and God with his own finger wrote the Ten Commandments for, for them to follow, they were down there dancing around a, a calf of gold. And they, they, they took all their, their Mary Kay stuff and their jewelry, and their, they melted it all and made all this stuff. And, and, you know, while he was in, in God's presence. And so we can cluck our tongue and we can just, Mm-mm, those Israelites. Well, we need to go like this. Oh, oh, looky there. Looky there. Yeah. Disobedience leads to the unraveling of a person, a family, and a culture. Israel was meant to shine the light of Jehovah God into the places that were um, idolatrous. And he said, if you do this, I will bless you. If you obey me, I will bless you. And they just couldn't do it. So disobeying a loving God is a heart problem. 
and it's a problem we have. <clears throat> that song that we just sang, it doesn't do any good for us to sing, Spirit, lead me, if we don't follow. If Those are just empty words. If we don't follow, there he is, and I'm going, that's what he said, and I'm going to go there. It, the, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything if we say, give me Jesus, if we don't follow what he says. We can have the Savior, but we can have an empty life going down to death. You, you saw where he says you can be like, you know, a spring flower in the morning, and then by evening you're, you're dead. He talks a lot about death, about being carried away to death, and that's something that was difficult to teach, but I did because I felt that was important for us to know that we're, my, we're not made for this world. We're only here for a short time, and we will end up in the grave, um, and there are steps to that. And so here's what Israel did. Israel's heart was somewhere else. It wasn't looking up and saying, wonder what's going on up there. Let's humble ourselves and wait for Moses to come down. No, they were having their party and doing their horrible, immoral dancing and, and following something that they could see. You know how people have to see something? Show me, show me. Jesus said, blessed are those that have not seen and yet believe. That's our promise. So they longed for Egypt. Well, at least there we had, you know, well, you know, we had uh, a, a microwave there. And here we have to build our own fire. You know, it was that kind of, obviously they didn't say that, but you, you get my point. They were complaining like they always did and like we always do. Here's what happened to them. They forgot God's word. If you don't know God's word, you can't forget God's word. And the only way you can ever be deceived and anything that's flowing through the air in our culture right now, is to not know God's word. Remember when Christine, Pastor Christine and John taught us about um, the, um, the counterfeit money, that the people that work in counterfeit money, they never look at the counterfeit. They only ever study the real thing. They never look at what's false. They look at what's real so that when the false comes in, boom, they're just glued right on it. They, they realize that mm -mm, something's wrong there. That's how we have to be spiritually. We have to know the, the reality of God's word. The, we have to uh, plant our feet and our, uh, our <clears throat> roots deep in his word so that when these heresies come by, and they're coming by fast and furious, we can say, no, that's not what God says. It doesn't matter what someone says. It doesn't even matter what I say. If what I say does not line up with God's word, then you can just flush it. Y you don't have to listen to anything. Um, <clears throat> That's, that's the importance of knowing God's word. We can't emphasize it enough. So that's what they did. They forgot his word. They followed the pagan trends of the enemies that were living around them. That's what I see the church doing. Here's the trend. Instead of the, the world being, uh, you, you know, seeing what we're doing and going, oh, we're going, oh, mm, let's, let's try that. Let's worldly that up in order to, I don't know what, attract but what it does is it just distills the gospel. I mean, it doesn't distill. The, it, it makes the gospel this big floaty thing. And you can, in some churches, you don't even hear the name Jesus. You don't hear blood. You don't hear salvation. You don't hear cross. You don't hear repentance. You don't hear sin. You don't hear any of those things than the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what they did. They just followed the trends. They became too busy, too prosperous. Oh, yeah, their own desires. Does that happen? I remember our old, when I was just a teenager growing up, our pastor said, 
I, I, I want y'all to be blessed, but I don't want y'all to have any boats. Because if you get a boat, you're going to take the boat out on Saturday and Sunday. <laughs> and I knew what he meant. You know, that's what we do. We get prosperous and we get a boat. You don't have to actually have a But, you know, we get prosperous and that thing takes us away. It just really does. And they didn't drive the enemies out of their land. And the, here's the trick. Sometimes the enemies look completely benign. Have you ever watched, Christine and I watch, and John, watch American Greed sometimes. Have you ever watched that show? And it's called American Greed because it shows the, the schemes that people go to to get people's money. And <clears throat> you look at the, the ones that are finally ended up convicted, going to prison, and you kind of go, that? Them? They just look like, you know, your school teacher or your 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 pastor. They could look like that. They just look completely benign, but they have this golden tongue, and they know how to, but they're the enemies, and they, they have ruined people's lives, their businesses, their futures, their children's colleges, and all of those things, and it's because they don't look like an enemy. We have to know. We have to understand who our enemy is, that they might look just as benign and just as friendly as you can be, but make sure we understand what God's word says. And then we're living, um, the, the other thing that they did is um, they didn't, did I say that one? Did I give you four? Yes. Okay, we're done. <clears throat> um, I wasn't, I, I'm actually going to take a little left turn here, or right turn. <clears throat> what happens with disobedience that turns into idolatry, and we, we, when we think of that word, what do we think of? A thing. Thing that we put on a mantle or we go visit and we bow down. That's not what idolatry is because idolatry is in our heart. And it is anything that comes between the preeminence of Jesus Christ in our lives and us. Anything. That can be, guess what? Don't throw something at me. That can be church. Church is not God. And church can come between your relationship with God. You know how slick that is? Because if we're busy doing it, God won't notice. You know how I know that? Because that was me, a performance Christian. If I just taught enough, sang enough, studied enough, did enough, read enough, volunteered enough, <clears throat> God would not see the condition of my heart, which desperately needed help. You know, he's so wonderful. And he found me in that place. And he brought me out of that place of being a performance Christian to know that I can see him in my, in my fullness. But that can be an idol in your life. Your children can be an idol in your life. There are people that Gary and I rose our, our, raised our children with uh, when, uh, when Christine and, and, uh, and Michael, our son, was growing up. And we got to a certain age, and we started to diverge. And we, we wondered why. why. Why aren't they around anymore? It's because their children started doing this and being involved in this and going here. And everything was about the children. And pretty soon they started coming away from the things of God, pulling away. They were, you know what? You can get just too pooped out. It, you, you, you can't do everything. And the, and the world tells us we can and we can't. But anyway, it can be children. It can be a job. It can be money. It can be anything. Um, and that only, we have to answer that question. We have to answer the question. Um, but these are the signs of, of the death 
that comes from disobedience to God. For, because death doesn't, doesn't just come to our bodies because of sin. And that's why God hates sin. He hates sin because it brought death. He never it didn't want that for us. He wanted us to live forever. <clears throat> but sin brought death, and so sin brings death to our bodies, but it also brings death to relationships. It can bring death to your relationship with God, as we just said. There are certain steps when you think of death, the dread of death. Are you uncomfortable in the things of God? When things get to a certain place of conversation or, or you hear something, do you feel discomfort? Like, I, I, you know, I, mm, I'm not comfortable with that. That's a little bit too close to me. And there's the, the, the paleness that comes with the illness that brings death. And that could be a sign that we're not being nourished. Our spirits are not being nourished. We're not in God's word and the flow of his spirit like the blood in our body stops flowing, and you get that pale look, you know, that look, I've seen it. I've seen my darling Gary with it and, and others. <clears throat> Isolation, feeling alone, forsaking being with others. These are all steps. Dread, pale, isolation, and then cold. First thing they, the cops ask is, or the, 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 the 911, are they... Are they cold? Did you feel for a pulse? Because that's a sign of death, coldness. And we can do that with God. We can get numb to him. And I fill my spirit with stuff instead of him. And that cuts off the blood flow in my life, and I become pale and cold. And the last one is rigid. That's when rigor mortis sets in, rigid. Stubborn refusal to submit and obey. <clears throat> if we're there, if you're there in your life and you know it, if I know it, if we know what God has said and I won't do it, we need to seek help from him, and he will be there. That's a, that's a huge sign of the rigidity that we can say as believers. And I'm talking to believers. I'm not talking to the world. Of course the world's going to do that. I'm talking about those of us who know his word and say, I won't do that, which is what the Israelites said. The Bible says in Hebrews, we must give heed to these things that we've heard, lest we drift away, lest we drift away. And it's a warning to us. I ain't done yet. I'm just flipping my paper. Sin brings death to our relationship to God. Perhaps not eternal death, but it can completely kill our fellowship with him, you know, and we're stunted and abnormal. Like, we don't expect to be uh, uh, applauded when we dress ourselves. Great job. You did great. We go, uh, no, I've been doing this for a long time. But in the, in the biblical walk, many people are there, you know. They're, they're stunted in their growth spiritually, they're not growing, and that can happen as their relationship with God becomes cold and rigid and pale. You want it vibrant. You want the blood flowing. That's what we want in our relationship. But it also can come in a relationship with others, with between a, a man and a woman, in a marriage. The Bible says this, what God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. It's usually quoted, let no man put asunder, but that's not what the Bible says. And there's a reason for that. 
because the word not man does not mean a man. We think of some interloper coming into our marriage, you know, some hussy. Is that okay to say from the pulpit? <clears throat> I don't know. Is that a bad? That's an old term. Is it okay? I have said things and Walker's like, oh, Mimi, mm-mm. No. I, I apologize if that was crude. I, some um, foreign Jezebel, <laughs> you know, come in and take our man. You know, let me take you outside and wipe your face on the <laughs> pavement. <clears throat> or a man, you know, coming into a marriage. We think of that. But that's not what this scripture means. It says what God has put together and joined together. Let not man. That means the broad interpretation is the ordinances, the laws, the influences, the systems, the machinations of mankind, worldly mankind. Don't let that come in and put asunder. You know what asunder means? This just hurt my heart. It means to divide into pieces to pull apart, to disjoin. And you, when you understand that it was God who put man and woman together, he said, don't let the machinations of mankind and this worldly system out there come and invade your marriage and pull you apart. My, my job, he said, is to keep you together. I've put you together. You're, you're yoked together. And if you've got one part of the, on one side of the yoke going this way, and the other side of the yoke is going this way, you have a problem, and you're not going to be going too many places, and you know what else? You get a neck ache, and too many neck aches in in marriage today, because we're pulling in different directions. A lot of this was, I wasn't going to, but I'm trusting the Lord. The biblical pattern that nobody in the world wants to hear is man, woman, children. That's the way that it is. And um, then the, when, when the children become adults, single families, uh, blended families, all those things, there's always these caveats. There, it's not like a smooth. There's these caveats. But the principle is still the same. Man, woman, children. And so God says protect that. Don't do what the Israelites do. Read what I say. I mean, the, the New Testament is full of things. Well, Paul, Paul, Paul and I don't get along on everything. N- not that anybody cares, but, <clears throat> but he really talks about relationships, and Jesus did too, and I'm going to read some of the scripture in just a minute, because again, it matters what God says about our relationships. But most families, nuclear families with the man, a mom and a dad and the children, would, I would say that 80 to 90 percent of the problems would be solved if we followed this pattern. Order. Order. Order brings peace. And then what about uh, the extended family, our other relationships, our in-laws and outlaws, and people we work with and our neighbors and the friends um, that, that we grew up with? What about that? Here's what, here's what Ephesians 5.21 says. Now, all that is about verses 7 and 8. All, the, all this is about that where he said, we fear your indignation and terror. And you know, the truth is, part of me wanted to say, you know, there's people in my life that I wish would be fearful of your indignation and terror. I wish they would crumble in your presence and understand because they're just doing these stupid things and they're ruining. And then God goes, and then I look up and realize how much mercy 
and grace that I need every day. And then I'm able to release those people that I love so much that are so not obeying God to his hand, to for his perfection, not what Vicki Ritchie thinks should be. Aren't you glad I'm not God? Mm. We'd all be in trouble. Here's what Ephesians 5.12 says, 21. Submit. We don't like that word. Don't be talking to me about submitting. Submit to one another. Why? This is the important part. Out of reverence to Christ. This is how he expects us to live. He doesn't expect us to disobey his word. He doesn't expect us just to revere the Ten Commandments that he gave Moses. He expects us to revere out of reverence to his, him <clears throat> everything he said about how we are to, to comport ourselves and that we don't want death to come to our relationships. Here's the, here, I'm going to ask a bunch of questions. You just answer them in your head. <clears throat> Do we think that our obedience to Jesus does not extend to our family? Do we think that our obedience to Jesus does not extend to our family? Here's the litmus test that I put on my own self, and then I carry it today. <clears throat> if Gary Ritchie, to whom I was married for 40 years before he went to his home, if Gary Ritchie did not see in me forgiveness, love, generosity, kindness, maturity, self-control, and all the others, then guess what? It was not there. I can be Miss Holy Spirit here. We got it down. We know all the words. We know all the words to the songs. They're right there. We can just have it even, you know, we get our slap our Mary Kay on. We got our bright shirt, and we can just go for it, you know. <clears throat> That's not where the proof is. The proof is behind the closed doors where we live, you know. And I know that, that our home is where we, you know, can run around in our underwear. Well, some of us can. Uh, you know what I mean by that. We can, we can let it down. We can, be, we can be real. Don't tell John I said that. <coughs> Always get in trouble when you ask me to do that. But you know what I mean. But sometimes we are nicer to the mailman than we are to those people that we live with. The, the way we speak to them, you know, we're, we're, and you kind of, I've asked myself this many, what is that? Because the Bible's clear. It's not like ambiguous. Well, I'm not sure what he means by that. No, we know exactly what he means. And I'm going to read to you because the Lord really spoke to me about this, that we are the light of the world. We represent Jesus Christ to our world. And guess who your closest neighbor is? Your closest neighbor is your family. It's your husband or your wife or your children that's who your closest neighbor is. And so if, the, if that isn't working very good, then it doesn't really matter wh whether the world thinks that we're great because we go to church on Sunday mornings. It doesn't really matter. And it's true now in my, now that I've been a, well, I've been a widow for over 18 years, it, it matters whether Christine and John see that. Am I to them in their home, because I live with them, am I that to them? Are they that to me? And I can tell you that they are. They are exactly at home for the most part, as I, the, you, you got the caveat, that they are here in church. That's how it's supposed to be. It should not be that we unleash. Mm. Submission is the direct opposite 
of our flesh's desire to be right and have our own way. We defend our rights, our causes, our opinions, and insist on our own agenda. It's called right fighting. The last word. I know she just said this, and I'm going to say this. Boy, this is a good one. You know, let me just slam the door the last time. You know, I was a right fighter when I was a young married person. And guess what? It didn't keep me warm at night. Oh, I was right. I made my point. Did you hear? But then I went to bed, and it could have been two miles, even though the bed was only a double back then. We didn't have queen. He was facing that way. I was facing this way. No talk. Cole didn't hold my hand. Didn't make me laugh. To be right. Here's some questions. Do we want to be right or do we value a relationship more than being right? Do we want to be right or do we want to be in right standing with God? Do we want to be right or do we want to be or, or do we want to have our homes in order? Not our order, God's order. Do we want to be right or do we want to be healed? I'm hurting so bad. But at least I was right. I've lost that, but at least I was right. So sad. Our church, you know, you know why the church is full of it? Because we're people. The church is people. We're God's kids, and he wants us to learn this, that his light, his light goes everywhere. It shines out of our, our life everywhere that we are. Do we want to be right or do we want to be happy? Do we want to be right or do we want to be content and settled? Do we want to be right or do we want to represent the Savior to our world? Do we want to be right or do we want God's blessing from obedience? This is hearkening back to the Israelites. <clears throat> Their, their, their disobedience. Do we want to be right? Oh, I got to the end. Here's an important quote. We live in a kingdom. And in a kingdom, there are no rights. In a kingdom, the king sits on a throne. We bow before him and you know, even now in, in those horrible countries, they have that despotic rule. It's done. Well, it's done for us. The king has said, this is how I want you to live. It is not optional. So when we say, well, that doesn't work for me. That's just the way that I am. I'm stubborn. I'm German. I'm stubborn. You know, see this big jaw? Yeah, it's German. All the way back, generations to the 1700s. So I know what it means to be stubborn. Guess what God is saying? I'm not impressed. <laughs> I'm not impressed, Vic, that you're German and you're stubborn. This is what I have to say to you. I said this. I want you to do it. That's how he has to talk to me. He you. If you love me, do what I say. How many times do we do that to our children? Just do what I say. Oh, I was raised on this scripture. It's right way down here. Um, 
Oh, where did it go? Well, I know it by heart. Vicki, to obey is better than sacrifice. And for a long time, I didn't know what that meant. Well, I found out. To obey is better than me being on restriction for two weeks. Why didn't I learn that? If I just would have obeyed the sacrifice of my time with Gary or going to youth, you know, whatever, I, I, I paid the price for it. Obey is better than sacrifice. And the sacrifice of our time and our goodwill and our tithes and our offerings and our service, that means nothing to God if we don't obey. It's false to him. He's not impressed with all the things that we can do when in our heart we're saying, I I, I know what you said, but this doesn't fit in. I understand that you said that in your word, but I'm not going to do that. I'm not exaggerating. The, The... The church of Jesus Christ in this country, anyway, stateside Christianity, I call it, we do that. We decide what we're going to follow. Big old smorgasbord. Oh, Matt, that looks juicy and fresh. I'll take that and stick that in my pocket. Oh, look over here. Oh, no, that that looks a little prickly. A little prickly over there. I think I'm just going to pass that up. Oh, yeah, we do. We could laugh about it, but that's exactly what we do. We pick and choose what God says to do, and then we decide whether we do it, and then we feel good about ourselves because we have obeyed. And I hope you you all don't have anything sharp in your hands. (laughs) It's from my heart. This is what came as I studied about obedience and idolatry. Disobedience is a cancer that destroys people. It destroys a culture. It destroys families. It destroys uh, works, workplaces. Disobedience and not being what God wants us to be. Here's a great quote that I learned many, many, many years ago, and I don't know how to attribute it because I don't remember. Here's what it said. When I, when I saw it, I went, Vicki, learn that one. Learn that one. And here's what it says. None but the altogether righteous may press for his utmost rights. None but the altogether righteous may press for his utmost rights. That really struck me. And you know who that is? That's only Jesus, who is the utmost righteous. I cannot press for my rights in in God's kingdom. The Bible even teaches that that I have a right to do things, and guess what? Vicki, you don't have to do that if you're going to step on somebody's feet, if you're going to make somebody uncomfortable, if you're going to help cause them to perhaps stumble, zip it. Don't go there. Don't say that. Don't eat that. You know what I'm saying? Paul talked about in in Corinthians is even if we do, even if we have the right, you know, he says under Jesus, if unless he said you can't, you can, but you don't have to. If there's a, if there's a higher end to that, that's called maturity. Spurgeon said this, The world doesn't read the Bible. It reads Christians. That's right. And now, this is what the Bible says. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. That's a superlative. Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Did you get that? He wants us to live 
feed our spiritual bodies by every word that comes out of his mouth. They're not optional. They're not, well, that's a word I just don't like. Mm, harsh, 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 Woo, happy thoughts. No, we have to be mature. I remember when he told me I was in rebellion. Me, moi? Why, I'm a Sunday school teacher. Why, I'm on the worship team. Why, I've been a Christian for X number of years. Are you talking to me? Yeah, I was in rebellion. And when he showed it to me, I was, first of all, I was shocked, but then I was also humiliated that I had kept that in my life against my God who had given me everything. That's the only good thing about sin. It can be forgiven. And he forgave me. Boom. It was gone. It was done. That residual thing that was in me was gone. It was under the blood. Thankfully, every word, every word. There's a couple words. Well, you know, I'm a word person. I love words because they, they say what you want to say. There's a word, deference, and it means to <clears throat> defer. You say defer. It means respect, submission in a humble way. There's another word, obeisance. Some people pronounce it obeisance because it sounds so much like obese. So I pronounce it obeisance. <laughs> and it means deferential respect or an attitudinal curtsy. We know curtsy in our culture. But attitudinally, that's what God's saying. He said we need to do this to each other. An attitudinal curtsy. That's obeisance. And then there's the word prefer, which means to give priority. Think of somebody else before me. That's how he says we're to live. That's how he says we're to obey him. Because relationships are the hardest things that we do. They're the hardest things that we do because they deal with people, humans. And we all bring our, um, what do they call it, baggage. We all bring it. I heard a pastor years ago when I was much younger say this. He said, wouldn't it be neat if on the outside of all of us, we could wear pins, not like, you know, attendance pins like you used to get. No, but these pins reveal things about us and that we could just walk up and I could just walk up and go, oh, oh, she had a hard childhood. Oh, she broke her leg when she, well, that's too bad. Oh, I see. She's insecure. And, and we could read those signs and what a difference that would make. And then he looked out and said, God's not going to do that. You know why? Because he wants us to invest in each other so we know that. So that we're not judging somebody without reading their signs on the outside. We learn those things by investing in their lives and being, being friendly to them. That's how we do. That isn't in my notes. But that's the, that's the priority that, we, that he wants us to give to each other. I'm almost done. John 15, 12, my command, do you get that command? Command, command is this, love each other how? As I have loved you. And when Jesus loved us, he did all those, deferred to us, obeisance, per, per, prefer, sacrifice. When we didn't love back, he did all of those things. God's love is uncaused. Did you get that? God's love is uncaused. It springs from within him. It's intrinsic inside of God. We were not the cause of God's love. Oh, you're so lucky to have me. No. We can never be good enough to cause him to love us. He just did. 
it's uncaused, and that makes it the most pure love. And if you're sitting here thinking, she's wacky, I can't do all that. I want you to hear this. You're right. You can't. But guess what? The Lord who lives within you, who wrote this, he said this word. This is Jesus' words. My command is to do this as I have loved you and I live in you. And so, yeah, you can't love like me, but I can love through you. I promise it works. Luke 6.31, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Well, we've heard that. But do we do it? Do we do it? Psalm 19.14, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord. Not acceptable to my family. Well, that's just the way we do it. You know, Aunt Matilda always sits there. That's just the way. She's going to throw a fit if you sit in that seat. Well, you know, Aunt Matilda may just have to learn to sit on the couch. That's an example. The meditations of my heart, the intents of my heart, must be acceptable in his sight. Not the churches, not my families, not my coworkers, not what somebody else did, especially not what the world does, but in the sight of God. That's where the proof is in the pudding of how we live. 1 Corinthians 16, 14, do everything in love. That's another biggie. Everything, everything, everything in love. Romans 12, 10, be devoted. Remember that song? What was it called? Um, Hopelessly devoted. Olivia Newton-John. Hopelessly devoted. Oh, I won't sing it. Devoted to you. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourself. That's preferred. That's obeisance. That's deference. That's what the Bible says. These are little, little signs all along the line how we're supposed to live with everyone, not just with people that are strangers, not just with somebody that's going to give us a paycheck, but the people that we live with, that we sleep with, well, the person that we sleep with after we're married and all that. <laughs> Don't tell him I said that either. Romans 13, 8, owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. And what's the law of, of Jesus? It's Jesus' love. It's the law of love. One time when I was talking with, um, this was years ago, and we were trying to make a decision about something, <clears throat> I said, well, what does love require? And Gary went, wow, that's an important question. What does love require? And you know, ever since then, I ask myself that on about everything that comes into my life. What does love require of me? What does love require when someone steps on me and hurts me? What does love require when I love and I don't get it back? What does love require when the word is hard and I don't have any help? What does love require? Love requires obedience. He'll be there. He'll be there to help us to incorporate these things in our life so that we are known every day in our own families by these things. Be kind to one another, Ephesians 4.32. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another just as God through Christ has forgiven you. So how could there ever be anything that, we, that anyone could make me mad about that could ever compare to the amount of offense that I have laid up against God. It's impossible. And yet God instantaneously forgave me. Above all, 
love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sin. We like to rip it off and look at it. God says you, you need to cover it. I've got two more things. Good sense <clears throat> makes <laughs> good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Really? We can actually overlook an offense? I mean, offended, that's the thing to be now. We're offended. We're angry. We don't like that. I'm outraged about that. Aren't you sick of that? I'm, that's exhausting to be outraged about everything and offended about everything. It's just exhausting. And it's ugly, ugly, ugly. And it doesn't glorify God at all. The last scripture, great peace have they. Oh, my mother quoted this to me too. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. That's Psalm 119, verse 165. And I grew up on that verse too, that we should not be offended about most things that happen. We just shouldn't be. We should be able to say, I can take that. I'm a big girl. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an adult. I'm a maturing Christian. I don't have to answer that. I don't have to have an answer for that. I don't have to come back to that. I don't have to be right about that. Get the last word, slam the door the last. Let me just say these last three things about obedience. Practice immediate obedience because that's God's priority. This is what we, t- this is what we teach our children. When we, our children were growing up, we would say, if you don't obey when we first say, one time you're going to be running toward traffic and we're going to say, Michael, stop. And if you're not used to listening and obeying, you could be, it could cost you your life. That's why immediate obedience is important. That's why. So it helped them to understand there is a reason mom and dad just don't lay awake at night think of ways to make our lives miserable. They do have a plan, and they want us to stay alive. We, we don't stick our, feet, our finger there. We don't go there. We don't, you, you know what I'm saying? Immediate obedience. We have to learn that. And some of us are, are, are way older than the child, and we still haven't learned that. We still haven't learned that, that when God says we can obey immediately. And guess why? Because he only requires us to obey the first step. We don't have to have the whole nine yards. He says, and we go, oh, what's up? I know, ooh, uh. And he goes, just take the first step. And guess who's there? He's there for the next step and the next one and the next one. He said the obedience is the first step, and he'll be there. Number two, practice complete obedience. The word is very specific. I just read a bunch of it to you. Very specific, how we are to live. Remember, it says in most of those things, read the instructions first before you build the fort. <laughs> I took a test one time, and I failed it because of my, you know, me. But it's, there was this test. It wasn't like at school, but it was, I forget, I was in a class of some kind. The very first line said, read all the way to the bottom. And, of course, I, I, number two, number three, you know, just as fast as I could go. And, and guess what it said at the bottom? If you've read to the bottom, you don't have to complete any of the other questions. And I went, yikes. Read the instructions first and obey and be completely obedient. If I would have read the complete, I wouldn't have had to rush through that and, 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 not, and not pass the test. Partial obedience um, can be really s- risky. And the last one, practice joyful obedience. It's always best to 
obey. Always a delight to live out the word. Rich rewards are promised. To obey is better than sacrifice. It is. It's better than being on a restriction for two weeks. I learned that many times. I spent the majority of my teen life on restriction because Vicki had a hard time with obeying. You know, I just thought I, you know, how much, how, how smart are mom and dad? Well, <laughs> I found out. Yeah, I found out. I pray that this has been a challenge to us, to all of us, to me too, to obey, not to choose our own way, not to decide what we're going to pick, not to be right about everything, and not to be arrogant to our Father, to think that we can decide what we're going to obey and what we're not going to obey in his word, who has given us everything, 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 everything. And that's what he said. If you love me back, comma, obey my word. Obey my word. Obey my word. George, are you, did you want to say something? Oh, Okay. Now, anybody that listened to what she opened with, did, did you hear and listen to what she had to say? And, and did she make you laugh and generate a memory of what she said that you can take out of here with you? Is that not the, the unbelievable gift of a speaker and a teacher? Every time she gets up, she says the same thing. <laughs> she is the most amazing speaker. Uh, I have ever listened to in my life someone who generates an interest and, and has the comedy and the, the ability to generate a memory. You know, I, I once watched a movie where a guy came into the classroom and every day he was dressed different. One day he was a colonel and the next day he was a, a seal and the next day he was a dog. And my son came home one day and told me about this teacher. Oh, Dad, you had to hear what he said. And when he got all finished, he was laughing. And I said, well, hold it a minute. What was his point? And he told me what it was. And I said, well, for your whole life, you'll remember that point. Because you'll remember how silly he was about the whole thing. But what I came up for was during worship, uh, Ryan uh, touched on something that energized a word that I have had and didn't know where it was supposed to be or time to use it. And, and what you've spoken of this morning has generated that. Um, talking about the Father and his love and his concern and his want and his desire for us generated a word two or three weeks ago that came back this morning. And it was this. The people cried out in the midst of the congregation and I heard them, and I reached out with my hand. I want, Billy, would you take the group of people right there in front of you, and would you move over here for just a moment, brother, and take this group of people here, and Joe, would you take this group of people here, 
And Bill, will you make sure that everybody that's on the back is the same thing? If you're here this morning, and as the people, you cried out for something that's going on in your life, whether it's a family member that's injured or sick, whether it's a, 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 a job interview, whether it's uh, whatever it might be, if you've got something that you're trusting the Lord for and, and leaning on his understanding, you know, instead of your own, what I want you to do is I want you to put out your hand because he's out there right now and he's put his hand out to you I want you to put out your hand and connect with Billy. Whatever it is, I want you to reach out right now and just take hands with Billy. If it's you, touch Billy and then reach out to somebody next to you. And if it's you, reach out and touch him and then reach out and touch the next person until everybody in this room is connected. Just like she's been talking about because in that scripture, that she read, it said, Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, and our secret sins he has brought into the light. We've heard that so many times that if it comes into the light, what happens? It's gone. Light dispels darkness. And then at the bottom, the last scripture she said, the last scripture that comes out says, And let the beauty of the Lord our somebody, reach out and take a hand. Take a hand with Joe. All right, if you have to move a little bit, just take a hand. Because right at this moment, he's reaching out with open arms. And he wants you to have what it is that's on your mind, what it is that's on your heart, what it is that you're wanting to see changed in your life, all right? And that's what I'm asking for, that you receive it. Not that you have to do anything for it, it's a gift. Just receive it, whatever it is. And when it takes place, not if, I don't believe in that. When it takes place, share it with somebody else. Share the fact that God actually did hear what I had to say, ministered to me, and brought about that change. Because that's a testimony. It's what Sister's talking about. It's being what God called us to be so that the people around you that don't know him see it. And they want it just as badly as you do. Thank you, Father, for your presence. <clears throat> Thank you, Father, that you speak to your people. We just... Uh, turn the hearing aids down too often so that we don't hear it. It's just a still, constant voice <clears throat> that is out there and he wants and I know he wants for us to be able to hear him in a way that we can have an action to love one another. 
be obedient, be cheerful, reach out to our neighbors, love each other as, as Christ loved us and died for us. And we just thank you for that in Jesus' name, Father, right now. Thank you, Bishop. The whole purpose of verses 7 and 8 is this, that we need not fear the indignation and terror of our God when our sin of disobedience comes into his countenance, in his face, panem, the Hebrew word for face. To think of that, that our sin is in his face when we are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ by the blood of his own son. That's the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. We, that's the hope of these two verses, is that we can come into his countenance, not because of anything that we've done, but we can say we, we are obeying. We are clothed in, God, in Jesus' righteousness, and we choose to obey every word that comes out of your mouth. Amen. Have a great week.